have they put you away? They haven't suspected, suspected, suspected what I mean to society, what my master plan is. They have no idea. Yes, yes, we know, we know. Oh, they think they know. I don't know. (laughs) And you know. Oh, Alex Simmons, it is good to see you here on Tell the Damn Story. That's right. Here we are, damning it. The streets are empty. Yeah, some of restaurants are hollow. Yeah. (laughs) The villagers, the village, baby. The yeah, the villagers have closed the shutters to their window and locked their doors. Yeah, they yeah, man. Home. Crazy times we live in, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. you know, what's that? What's that old saying? May we live in interesting times. This is yeah, way well, interesting. I, that wasn't a saying. That was a curse. Ah. <laughs> and the curse is coming true. Yeah. So, yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. So, uh, what episode are we on? One what? It's, I believe we are on 129, my brother. 129, we, episode 129. We have uh, 29. We have a lot How much about. we have to talk about? I mean, do you really, we have been talking for 129 episodes here. And we still have tons to say. <laughs> oh, Lord, help them. <laughs> you thought so, we were out of stuff, right? <laughs> let's, let's start off light and uh, uh, fluffy. Oh, with, yeah. Uh, oh, what's been going on with your life, man? What's happening? Oh, well, you know, aside from, I thought I would approach this just a wee bit differently, aside from the work, you know, which is I got my kids' Comic-Con thing coming up in eight weeks now, so I've been working on that. Uh, I've been offered an opportunity to write a couple of things, which I'm waiting for the contracts on, so I'm excited about that. Um, I've been teaching at the New York Film Academy, and uh, (laughs) I've been teaching the social and creative relevance of Max Fleischer's animated Superman... Well, As opposed to Carmen Sandiego, the animated TV show of the uh, 80s, 80s, 90s, rather. Uh, you know, I've been talking about that with some of my, my writing students because they're in the animation division. Oh, and yeah, fascinating. Yeah, and it's all about really not only, you know, the type of the style, the art style, the kind of storytelling that was done in both, but also how both of these dealt with, in terms of characterization, either personal issues that you know mm-hmm. other humans can relate to or social or political issues such yeah. as Japatur and uh, 11, 11 minutes to midnight with uh, the Superman taking on you know at that time we were in World War II we were a year into World War II yeah. and so you know you got your political basically propaganda but I understand it you know within these cartoons so we were having a nice conversation about that looking at some of the episodes looking at the animation uh, the beautiful animation, and it's said different styles. And of course, there's a new Carmen Sandiego, so we, we're going to be talking more about that. I've right, also, right, right. yeah, but aside from all that creative stuff, uh, I've been enjoying life to a certain degree. And part of that is, you know, every week you and I are sitting here either drinking tea or coffee. And I've gone straight to bourbon. Look at you, Alex. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me just get the sound of. Oh. Okay, so that was me having a sip of coffee. And each morning as I'm doing, you know, just part of my, my wake up, my meditation, and then mm-hmm. I, I getting my head on straight for the day, you know, you grab one of those little coffee cup things that they can pop into the, the barista type machine. Believe me, this is not, my daughter bought this thing. But yeah, you do this, you do this. I, so uh, I, got, I got this uh, fair trade Colombian Arabica or, uh, yeah, Arabica coffee. And I'm. I'm, you know, I've been trying this out. So this is pretty good. This one. Then I'm in the store and I see the Keurig. I mean, for one, how am I having trouble 
pronouncing the names of coffee. Okay, this is the first thing. But I've got Keurig. I think it's was a time when it was just coffee. It was Maxwell you know? House. What are you going to have? What are you going to have a coffee? A cup of Joe. You want it black? Joe. With a little milk. Yeah, right. So anyway, <laughs> this one's got Donut House coffee here with their 12K cups. And this one's got, you know, as I said, the other one, a medium roast. And I'm actually going, well, gee, this morning, what coffee would make me feel more in the creative mood or more in the meditative mm. mood? So I've been experimenting to see, you know, the, the effect of coffee flavor, quality coffee on a mindset in the morning. So that's that's one other thing. And then the last thing is I do a little bit of next, reading. Next yeah. on Having Coffee with Alex. Yes, here we go. Well, you know, <laughs> a couple of artists I know are all about their coffee. So People are tuning in saying, wait, did I get on the wrong podcast? Yeah. So then the other thing is I've been reading, and, you know, we're a creative team here, so... One of the books I've been reading, I found this on my shelf, I forgot I bought this thing years ago, was The Powerful Writing Skills. And this is actually about writing for business, right? Mm -hmm. but, but it says something like, most of what we find dull in business correspondence isn't what we say, but how we say it. Yeah. And I thought that applies across the board. So then I brought that book up. And then the last thing is a friend of mine who I've known for a number of years, a lovely lady named Susan Laurie, She's been editing everybody in his mother, including the Goosebump uh, author, for years. She finally got her own book out, and it's called, it's a, it's a children's book um, for, I believe, the 8 to 12 market, and it's called Wanda Season Good and the Mostly True Secrets. See, there ah, you go. Very cool, very cool. And I am another redhead. Another yes, redhead. another red. There you go, right. How, you don't Why have Agnes uh, Ferguson is in a crowded field. Yeah, well, and think, when you made her up, really? It was, it was down to Archie, right? So I'm on chapter 18 of that and having a good time. So that's been the, you know, that's been the lighthearted side of my life, uh, mm -hmm. past days, weeks, whatever. How about you? <laughs> well, um, I went down to Manhattan yesterday. Yes, you did. Yes, I did. Um, we we celebrated the goddess's birthday. I'm under uh, threat of death, not to say what number birthday it was, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, you know, a glorious time, you know, making a fuss Happy about her. It's always you. great all Happy weekend. Happy birthday to uh, you. Happy birthday, dear goddess. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to, you. to you. We can sing that now because we don't have to pay royalties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all anyway, right. So, saying. Uh, and she insisted, though, that I, I go to this, um, you know, uh, it, you and you and and the goddess have both been working to help get me out of the house more often. Um, yeah. And so I had kind of developed this uh, hermit-like. I'll just write, and you know, so uh, pushed myself to go to Manhattan, and uh, it, Manhattan is pretty empty, you know. And when I did get to the place and met the other writers, uh, it was a Mystery Writers of America event. Um, Half the people, uh, half, a lot of people weren't there, but half the people who were there wouldn't shake hands. Ah. And I was like, ah, you know, this is the world that I have been missing. Oh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> you came out. Oh, oh look yes. At this, now. This, is, this is why I, you know, I've been forcing myself to leave the house to go to all these people who, you know, you know but it was fun. It was, I learned a lot. Um, just chalk, just talking, you know. Um, and some were uh, earnest, just talking about this book I read, that book I read. 
and I took some notes and all that sort of stuff. But now there's, you know, it's so funny. You know, you you can see the people who have been uh, pros a little longer and may have hit a little a little more success and have had to be uh, more out there in the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their commentary is a little more practiced and, and cautious. Mm. You know, which is uh, interesting. Um, one of the things I did driving home was uh, think about, is that something I could do? You know, because uh, I, I tend to just be rely on uh, simple honesty and the best of intentions. And, you know, is there a level of success where you can no longer rely on those things? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Will we ever know what that uh, like? <laughs> and then there's there's another level where you know, you're further along than I am, but um, you feel a need to blow yourself up into a, a kind of a self-importance. Oh, geez. And, and you can pick that out uh, about, you know, about five miles away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. okay, you know, if, if that works for that guy or the girl or whatever, whatever, that's fine. That's great. Um, but then there's the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's the, you know, veteran who has got some books out and has won some awards and has had some success and is working in a prestigious college and is wearing like a sweatshirt that he's had for, you know, 23 years (laughs) and, and, and dungarees that look like. You know, he could do a writing thing or he could go out and work the back 20, you know, yeah, just right. kind of exactly. no airs whatsoever. Sure with the car. And I, and I saw this guy getting dressed up to uh, to leave, you know, and the coat went on and like a scarf and a hat and all that sort of stuff. I was like, this guy, any job you came up with, seeing this guy on the street, he would fit, you know. This good guy still be working the mailroom. This guy could be, you know, uh, an executive. It doesn't, you know, there's nothing. It's just wow. who he is. And I said, that's the goal. I want to be, I want to be that comfortable, you know. And uh, and I, I think I am pretty comfortable, although you know, having to push myself out of the room. Once I'm there, I'm pretty comfortable. Um, but that was pretty interesting to see how many people were, were reacting and concerned and all stuff about the coronavirus. And I think we should talk about that, but um, they canceled the next month's meeting for concerns of this. And there are other events being canceled and all that sort of stuff. Disney's closed down two or three of their uh, theme parks. Yeah. Uh, There are things happening with various events. You're right. Uh, Yeah. Italy, Italy had like, you know, people fleeing out of there because they were putting a whole section of Northern Italy on lockdown, quarantined, an entire section. Like, wow, you know, when the quarantines are spreading, you know, from China to Italy, that's when we got to start taking it seriously and see what plans we have and all that sort of stuff. And yet, you have a stat that puts it, flips it in a whole other perspective. Yeah, I I was trying to find the the darn thing so that I could actually quote from it. I'll probably come up with it later. But uh, a couple of days ago, it was posted that on, I believe it was February 6th was, at the time, the most number of casualties from the coronavirus had been posted. And it was some really small number. Yeah. Compared to, and the list went on to name a number of other things, including cancer, that had taken lives, car accidents, all that. 
and the numbers were astronomical. But again, like that day, or in excuse the me, time that the chrono, meaning for that, that day, day, that same day, one day, one day, yes. Day. So it was a list of fatalities by the cause. Yeah, exactly. Where did coronavirus fall in, in that list? Was it in the top the three, top five? Number out of six or seven. It was the what? The lowest number. The lowest of number. Deaths. Lowest number. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And and then we're watching and again as creatives, you know, you look at it, but you look at it as another way, you know. And meanwhile, it's getting the bulk of the twenty-four hour news cycle. Yeah. Uh, both on you know cable news, and in print and online, and you know we. You don't want to denigrate anyone's concern. No, no, you don't want to. You don't at want a certain to, point. I personally don't know enough about it. I'm not a medical. You know, that's one. The CDC has been posting information. Right. You know, and you, you go to sources that you can, quote unquote, trust to some degree yeah. or should be reliable. And you look at those numbers and you look at what's happening and you try and hear the information. But the idea, the idea at this point is not to press the panic button. Right. You know, I mean, that's that's a big thing. And I don't know. You know, again, I can't talk for everybody. I would. Try, but I don't know where we are supposed to as people, as rational human beings, where we are supposed to go. OK, let's be cautious. Let's let's wash our hands. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then where we're supposed to go. Holy smoke. Open the trap door. Get into the bomb shelter and shut the door. Do we have you know, I mean, I don't know. Is this is this what it looked like just before the walking dead? You know? virus yeah right you know is this what it was because am i going to wake up in a hospital you know and everybody around me is gone <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't you know like you said earlier our job is supposedly to to pump fiction you know right. to do what if you know that sort of thing and you can do that a, a, a million times a million different ways you can flip something a million different ways and come up with scenarios that can either entertain or spook the hell out of you. And I just would like to feel that we as people will deal with this, whatever this really is, in a way that will not do us more harm than good. Well, it would be great to be able to do that. Um, I do find myself this week wondering, have we crossed the line between fact and fiction? You know, is how do you mean that exactly? Well, I mean, coronavirus is out there. Yep. Uh, there are concerns. Yes. Mm-hmm. People have lost their lives. People have lost their lives, but does it fit the amount of attention and panic? You know, I mean, what thing to do? You know, um, CDC is the the only thing I think now that we can trust because there's so much political spin and all that sort of stuff. But for example, you know, I'm over on the Jersey side, and a guy got it in Fort Lee, and they brought him to Hackensack Student Medical Center, which happens to be up the block from where I, uh, where I teach mm -hmm. and my students were losing their mind, absolutely losing their mind. And, you know, uh, I found myself saying, well, 
we've lived through SARS, swine flu, Ebola, two or three natural disasters, and seven announced ends of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least I did while I was teaching that. And with all those guarantees of our death, we're still here. Like cockroaches. Well, <laughs> like cockroaches, indeed. Uh, and trying to find out what the appropriate response is. Sure, you want them to take it seriously. You want everybody to take it seriously. Um, you know, there's the hand washing and all that sort of stuff. But... Ellen did a great opening bit. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres. Why am I having trouble pronouncing her name? Ellen DeGeneres. There we go. Uh, she did a great opening, you know, for her one of her TV episodes uh, just, just within the past week or so. And she says that, you know, they're, they're sending out these cards now. They're posting them everywhere uh, of how to properly wash your hands. Because obviously, as she put it, obviously, right. we haven't been washing our hands properly all these years. So she proceeds to have a portable sink brought out with soap and everything, and she follows the instructions as she mm -hmm. washes her hands. And she had me laughing hysterically uh, because some of it is, 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 it sounds ridiculous when you think about it. You're washing your hands and, you know, they've told you, you know, to make sure you, you cup your fingers and you rub this and you do. And then about you're three quarters of the way through and they go, and wash your thumbs. And, and she's, you know, she basically goes, what was I doing with them before? <laughs> Did I detach them so that I was only washing yeah. fingers each hand? So she went through this and it was funny. And I think to some degree, just like in the Depression, just like in so many other uh, unnerving, difficult, scary, disturbing times, we need to look at, A, look at what's real as best we can. B, have something out there that helps us go, take a breath, okay? Mm -hmm. Get real for a moment. Step back. D, you know, go to DEFCON 1, you know, just, right. whoa, whoa, okay? You know, <laughs> And I think that's that's one of the things that needs to be out there is we need to take that breath and that beat and look at it as rationally as we can and not freak, you know, instantly. And I think because of the, some of the stuff that we've all been going through, and I don't want to make this whole episode about, oh, God, you know, the weight we're yeah. carrying. But because of some of the things we've been going through on a global or national level, I think we're primed right now for more anxiety. And I, for one, yeah. move in the opposite direction. So well, I we also can use it as a creative exercise. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're so freaked by all the news, right? Mm -hmm. That we now, at least I find myself, aware of every cough and sneeze. I found walking through Manhattan, um, and when I first got the meeting, uh, people would wipe their finger under their nose, you know? Yeah, uh, any the kind of touch of the face, uh, we're so much more aware. And and you just watch during a conversation, or you're listening during a conversation, and you see how often people casually cough or or sniffle or you know clear their throat. You know, and you can't you can't use it like you know uh, all through a story. But yeah. Any of these things and how they do it, you know, you put that in the toolbox, as Stephen King would say, and there are times you can use that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, if, 
if, if we were doing the prequel to Stephen King's The Stand, you know, it's the cough, it's the sniffle, it's the... <laughs> and boom. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so that's, that's, our, that's our, our social awareness uh, moment for the day, folks. Thank you very much. Uh, don't hurt us. Uh, but, you know, in, in reality, please, everybody, uh, you know, it's, it's real in what it is, but we don't know how real that is. Right. It's actually affected your life at that moment. And then we'll if, find some balance. Yeah, try and, and find balance and, you know, take care of yourselves. Absolutely. But, you know, stay human. Like I said, decompress. Try not to hit the button every time yeah. because somebody says, oh, my God, this, you know, just oh. hang back. But you can you can use it to ask the questions. You know, like, okay, where did that guy come from and how did he get to work? And you realize oh, it's a mystery. Yeah. And since we're, we both work in Segways <laughs> R Us, wow. that brings us. Where'd you pick that one up? <laughs> that brings us to. Oh, oh the uh, get your right on section of the show. <laughs> get that Segway the 99 cent store. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's a terrible segue, man. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm. Okay. Uh, we could use, do better we next could use week. A chuckle. We can use a chuckle. Yeah, right. we can. We can, and we can. Yeah. You know, I'll hold up a Drake's coffee cake. There you go. See, yeah. I'm not eating. But you did. You did want to talk about mysteries. Yes, I did. Because in our get your right on or guy woe. <laughs> As I said earlier. Yeah, that is that, that ain't gonna catch on. No. That is no. not. We are not going by that acronym. Yeah, okay. Half no. the audience just hung up on us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In your get your right on segment here, one of the things that we were talking about over the past few weeks, you know, is pacing the story, plots, characterization, all that. And I find when I'm teaching, uh, whether it's it's comedy, suspense, or some of the other genres, I find that they're the, the same basic understanding of the process still exists. You have to know how to place certain elements in specific um, areas of the story. You have to place them at certain points in the story to move the audience forward, to move the characters forward, and to you know take that journey towards the climax and eventually the resolution or the end of your story. And mysteries almost demand that a little bit more because if you're writing what I call a true mystery and you want to be honest with your audience, you lay out information in a specific way so that at the end when the reveal comes, <laughs> folks, if you can see this, I've got, I've got major, filling my screen, Chris's eyes, you know, but if you want to, when the reveal comes, if you want your audience to go, oh, yes, that's right, that's because when he said this or when I saw that or when this nose fills your screen like this. That, this, that the story was that the writer was uh, honest with you throughout the story, that the, the clues were planted in such a way that you could have figured it out if you were absolutely aware of these moments, or maybe you did figure it out because right. of that. So those are things, that kind of structural planning is involved in, in other genres, just to different degrees. But one of the things that is integral in, in a mystery, and there's actually two things, but one of them is suspects. And then in order for the suspect back and forth to work, the sleight of hand there, you have a red herring. And red herrings, for those who, who do not know the terminology, red herrings basically means it's a distraction. It's the thing that you're, you, you're, you're sort of given to think about, which you think maybe has 
a big plays a big part in this story, but really doesn't. You know, there's a suspect that looks really good. You know, maybe she really did it, but no, she didn't. Not at all. As a matter of fact, you were meant to think she did it because I was keeping you looking here when really what was going on was over here. So I think that um, how one places, how one deals with suspects genuinely and how one deals with red herrings genuinely to create, again, genuine mystery stories uh, is something that I'd like to talk about today. And that's what we plan to elaborate on a bit. You know, and again, it's, it's a technique that you can use in other ways, in other genres, but here we are in mysteries to help illustrate it even better. So Mr. Ryan, who's mm. no in my face the whole time I was trying to get through that, you've written several, oh, let me pick that. No, you've written several uh, crime stories. And yep. would you call them detective stories, mystery stories, um, crime thrillers? What, what, what do you feel is a genre that represents the city series? Well, I think there um, there is interesting um, mix of genres. You know, at the core, there's the police procedural, where you know they're investigating a case and doing it the way police would proceed through a case, right? Mm -hmm. um, the danger and action escalate. Throughout, especially uh, the the final act, and you know, uh, so that would give it a, a bit of a thriller, although it doesn't go international, you know. But it's still, I, I like the idea of localized thrillers. Um, then we raise the question of possible supernatural involvement. Um, so all three of these. Are contributing to the mystery what's actually happening you know um for example city of ha city of woe is um is not really um a whodunit but how you know how are the cops going to catch up to the people we know because we change point of view you know um and that's the mystery you know mm -hmm. are they going to do this how you know when uh, and I wanted to do that because I think there's so much actual police work that whew, it's about trying to catch up to the su uh, suspect and um, get a chance to solve the mystery. First, you, you know, you, you have to put everything else together, you know, how it was done. How how are we going to track this person down? All that sort of stuff. And in the case of uh, these, everything else gets in the way. You know, media gets in the way. Uh, administration gets in the way. Life gets in the way. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's the larger question. The subtext is, you know, how, how we make life difficult for each other and how we get through life, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So the... The mysteries are the bigger mysteries. This, the the city series are not standard um, uh, mysteries like you know uh, whodunits. And then when I have smaller materials. Um, the Penelope series is almost revenge mysteries. What's mm. actually happening? You know, um, why is this girl? behaving the way she is, you know, and 
or will she get justice? That kind of stuff. And then we just we just sent out uh, kind of a spinoff from the city series. There's a thing called Hell House, where um, three very unlikely partners uh, are hired by the FBI to pursue cases that they want no part of. <laughs> Whether they are demon hunters or or sham revealers, it depends on this from story to story basis. Um, but figuring that out, the reader uh, has a little more of a who done it there. It's a little more of a mystery, you know, like what exactly is going on and who's responsible and all that sort of stuff. But I haven't done a, sh- a straight-up Sherlock or something like that. Um, I guess the closest one is uh, Genius High, where the kids have to solve who's behind all the changes that are happening at their high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, maybe it might be a teaspoon of sci-fi in there because it's technology and science that is causing, you know, is being exploited. Um, but the rest is. Uh, Figuring out the suspects and how are you going to outsmart them before they outsmart you and, and, you know, either stop you or, or, uh, kill you maybe mm-hmm. or outsmart you, you know? And, uh, I, I wanted to use kids in that one against the adult machine because kids don't have the weaponry uh, or the tools yeah, navigate the adult world. So it made it for a more interesting mystery. How how are we going to do this? Um, well, that's what I have to know the ending of each one of those. Right. I was going to say you that know? that that's one of the things that you know when I I refer to them as genuine mysteries, um, uh, a who done it or how was it done kind of thing. You know, yeah. you've got you've got questions that need to be unraveled and answered, and that there's a methodology or a process that the lead characters, assuming they're the detectives or the investigators, have to go through things they have to see, find, um, reason, unravel, discover in order to put together the major answer at the end and hopefully resolve uh, the problem. You know, sometimes it doesn't get resolved. That's an open-ended or, shall we say, a sort of a sad ending or a tragic ending. Uh, a la, or a noir, maybe a noir ending. Yeah, where, but I was you know, justice like might not prevail, right? Yeah, yeah, like Seven. Uh, I keep saying Seven because that's probably the most disturbing movie I've seen, where I followed it and I was rooting for the detectives and things happened at the end. Oh. That man would go, "Oh, geez, why did I sit through this?" But oh, great movie! Well, but why yeah, did I? You, you can't be dissatisfied with Seven. No. Um, same thing with Chinatown. If, if, if you know, yeah. a beautifully made movie. Um, and the noir ending on that, that's one of the ones that deepens while you're at the diner afterwards discussing it and you realize the true implications, you know, of yeah. every aspect of that. And, you know, there is no high host silver at the end. Yeah. Well, I'll even, you know, I'll even go, like you said, noir. You know, you go to some of the, the Philip Marlowe. And I know we're pulling some old names out here, folks, but just bear with us for a moment. Philip Marlowe, uh, sometimes Michael Shane, um, Mickey Spillane's uh, character, you know, where they they stop something or they rescue something, but it's not a not a happy ending. It's not 
yeah. not you know, it's not leave it to Beaver here. And like you said, well, it's over. The Lone Ranger and Tano don't get to ride off into the sunset, and everybody's smiling. And let that, me go. Let me go very current. Yeah. Um, Stephen King last year, year before, uh, came out with a book called The Outsider. Mm-hmm. It has now been serialized um, on HBO, I believe, and it's a great, fundamentally great exercise. Okay, what if there was the perfect crime because, and a perfect fall guy, because, you know, the law and order as it exists are not capable of believing what really happened. Mm -hmm. And everything else is a straightforward mystery with that one Stephen King twist and fantastic. You know? mm-hmm. uh, he's been on a, a tear over the last, say, five, ten years with leaning more towards mysteries. You know, um, Mr. Mercedes, uh, there's, there's a, really a, a trilogy starting with Mr. Mercedes that um, had kind of an older, semi-retired and then retired cop as the lead and uh, what wound up becoming a team of misfits. And they were, you know, they were up against something or somebody much more savage than them. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you solve that mystery? How do you figure out what happened? And then as it got, you know, a little, just, a, he just turned the, the Stephen King dial just a little bit more, you know, uh, with each book, but it was still in, you know, they had firm footing in the mystery genre. And uh, I thought it was uh, fantastically successful. You know, okay, yeah, they were be, they, they bestsellers because, you know, that's what he does. And um, most of it got picked up, you know, one station or another. But it all comes down to readability. Yeah. Well, also, you know, Silence of the Lambs. Telling the damn story, right? Yeah, Silence of the Lambs. Saying, you know, it's, it's a similar scenario where you've got the FBI agent chasing down a serial killer and needing the advice of another serial killer who's even more dangerous than the one that she's going after. Yeah. But I, Perfect twist. Right? Immaculate twist. Fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the mystery element, though, is how do I find out what I need to find out? Mm-hmm. How do I piece these pieces together so that I come up with an answer, a conclusion that I can use to hopefully resolve the situation? And, and therein lies, again the writing of such stories, the creating of such stories, because it's it's all the things we've ever talked about. It, it's having a good plot, good concept. It's doing the, the work to, if it's in an environment or, or a, an industry that you're not familiar with, doing your research. It's developing the characters so that they are, are real within this world and they have personalities and, and ticks and traits that allow readers to identify with them or is oh my god that's just like my uncle this or my aunt that and then creating or constructing this journey that does throw little little red herrings little clues uh, a, a, a certain volley or number of suspects little distractions and sleights of hand and so that the average everybody the average characters within your story the average readers may miss a lot of this stuff 
But if you are really paying attention, it's there. Yeah. And so the, the exceptional character within a story begins to pick up on these things and eventually brings us to that, that climax, whatever the story is asking us to, to, to enjoy and experience at that point. You know, whether, again, the killer succeeds and gets away or uh, justice prevails, we get there. And, and when we're hit with that revelation of who done it or how it was done, then we can go, oh, wait, so when? And you can feel like you can go back through the story and see exactly where you should have picked up on, or you maybe you were cool and you did pick up on some of it, but you didn't come to the full conclusion. Those All right, let's switch gears. Well, I'm going to say those stories that I'm talking about in particular. Yeah, okay, switching gears. Go ahead. From reader to writer, okay? We've talked about the reader experience, but as a writer experience, you know, and, and kind of playing off last episode when we talked about the first draft is just, you know, the rewrites is where it comes from. Let's talk about it from, you know, not going over that ground again, but from a, a writer's perspective. When you're writing a mystery, where do you start and how do you construct the red herrings and, you know, the payoffs? What do you do? Well, again, a lot of it depends on how the idea comes to me, where the plot comes from, you know, whether it's an inspired thing or what. But either way. Right. But when you uh, want it to work as a mystery, eventually right. you get down a brass tack. Right. right? But I'm, saying, I'm saying for me, how I handle it sometimes is influenced by how the idea came to me. So as an example, I wrote a Sherlock Holmes mystery. All right. Some years ago. Um, is a stage play, but it was, you know, I didn't want it to be a play just about Sherlock Holmes. I wanted it to be a real, for me, a real mystery and involve an actual, uh, some people who actually existed in that time period, uh, the family of Ira Aldrich. So I had to do a certain amount of research. But for me, what happened was I came up with the idea of Sherlock Holmes and meeting this black character or the family of this black character, the family of Ira Aldrich in right. 1880-something. And I thought, well, what would be the mystery? And then because I'd been reading about Ira Aldridge, which is why I really wanted to do some sort of a story, I realized that after he died, he'd accomplished a certain position of prominence and fame as an actor and received a number, he'd made money, but he'd also received a number of awards and things. And as the years rolled on after his passing for his family, things got really weird and bad. And even some of his prized valuables and things disappeared from a bank where they were supposedly secured. Some other things disappeared. Some of his family members started dying in very odd ways. And I thought, whoa, maybe this is all random stuff. And certainly, you know, the disappearing goods could have been the family selling it off but not telling anybody because they needed the money. Or it could have been they were ripped off. What do I do with these elements? And how do I bring Sherlock Holmes into it? And so what I started to do was looking at the elements. I, you do this thing with postcards. I sometimes do this just as notes on a big sheet of paper, and I just keep going. But I made a list of all the elements that appealed to me, that, that sparked suspicion and, and questions and things. And then I looked at what was going on at that time period historically. I looked at Sherlock Holmes and you know that character's personality and his supposed life style or what was going on in his life at that time, because that was a point when Watson is married, so he's away from 221B. And I started to take all these pieces and lay them out and create the story concept from beginning to end. 
began to develop I, a light uh, outline, but I began to write the story. And what I did was I tried to write all the way to the end as a very, very rough, rough draft. But I wanted to see what the whole story might look like. Right. And once I had that body of work to look at, I started to go back and organically, again, when, what I mean by that, I'll explain in a moment, but organically begin to place certain things at certain spots along the way. I realized by being able to look at the story where certain things would have organically happened or where this red herring or this clue would best fit because of what was going on at that time or changing the order of scenes because it would set up the suspicions better this way or that way. So I, I really didn't, I think I think it was Joyce Carol Oates or whoever you talk about who goes on a run every morning and right Joyce Carol Oates, yeah. yeah. Right, and thinks the whole thing through, sees the whole thing as a movie in her head in effect from beginning to end and then she sits down to write. Yeah. I, I gathered pieces for this based on an inspiration and a little bit of research, then did more research, wrote something that was rough, but went from beginning to end, and then went back and crafted where everything fit or where to insert certain information to move the story along. So that was my approach with that particular story. I, you know, there's a couple of other stories I've done where I've had a slightly different approach. Yeah. How about you? Well, I mean, We've gone over a bunch of times the index card thing, but mm -hmm. when it comes to a mystery, I do are pretty early in the um, in the process, you know, wandering around with the index cards in my pocket or whatever. Well, how does it end? Where where are they going? How you know what's the crime they're uh, they're solving and how do they how do they get that solved or do they get it solved? You know, mm -hmm. and once I have a sense of that, then. Uh, I forget who it was, but there, there was a writer who, and I've mentioned this before in the shows, suggested that um, a mystery plot should look like like branch of uh, a tree mm -hmm. with a lot of outcroppings and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're traveling around it, it breaks off in a bunch of different directions. But if you get to the end, the furthest point of that branch and work your way back it, it it was it's only one path right <laughs> right so you want to you want to work from the end back you know at some point um and i usually do it after the index cards when i get it out and say okay uh yep that would work it, it does have logic to it from end to the beginning yes this cause is caused by this is caused by this is caused by but then look at it again and say, all right, where can it branch off so that mm -hmm. we have the red herrings and where and who could besides this person, who could be the suspect, you know? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes the mystery is the crime and some times is the mystery for me anyway is uh, the nature of crime or the nature of sin or the nature of, you know, the evil that men do or mm. what people do really. Um, and, and in that case, you can visit uh, these uh, red herrings, but at the same same time, it's a shade of the uh, main crime mm -hmm. or the main topic, so that you're you're creating a possibility, but at the same time, 
it's echoing what your main point is, you know, well, again, and then it creates a stronger subtext. You raise you raise a good point right there too, because in it was an accident. I swear. <laughs> in creating red herrings, you know, again, there's there's a methodology because the idea is, and, and some writers, especially new to the game, uh, they mistake how a red herring theoretically should work or how it works, it it how they think it works best by simply saying, "Oh, this person could have done it." But actually, what you're trying to create, whether on a simple level or a deeper level is this person has some sort of motivation that could have driven them to do this thing, right? right? Yeah. So, so that it doesn't seem like a completely out of left field, oh, well, I needed you to think it was somebody, so I chose this person, but it's really not. No, it's, it's like you want your reader or within the story, your characters are saying, well, you hated this son of a gun just as much as so-and-so. And there was that time when, so maybe you are. Oh, no, so now you're a suspect. And if I find a few more things about you, right. my goodness, you, you are really, yeah, you probably are the one that did it. Completely ignoring X, Y, and Z that points to another individual with a better motivation or a better opportunity yeah. to do it. And, and, and there you go, too, is, is Bill McKay. You know Bill. Um, yeah. Editor, writer, buddy. He likes to call it MOM, M-O-M, which is motive, opportunity, and means. So right. looking, looking at those three elements properly usually brings you closer to who done it but sometimes you know your red herring has motive and opportunity but no means or has opportunity but no motive or means so it depends on how you want to set that up but a mystery like i, I enjoy mysteries that that do present me with some sort of conundrum that i theoretically have to figure out like the the, the columbo mysteries we knew who did it we saw how he did it so the, the fascination mystery. was watching him prove it. Yeah, watching him prove it, watching him figure out who did it, and then going after him. And how was he going to do this? And right. usually, so it was a how done it. That's right, how done it. right. And usually, what was really cool. I mean, we knew after enough episodes that this guy is no fool. But usually, the people he went up against were much quote unquote smarter or slicker than he was. It was uh, all um, Mr. Simmons. Mr. Simmons. I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Can I ask you just one more question? Yeah, right. <laughs> that was when you knew. I'm really, I'm really comes, sorry to bother you. Right? Uh, uh, here it comes, right? Yeah. If he just he's on his way out the door and he turns around, there one more guy. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna snap yeah. the trap, baby. Yeah, and and, and um, those were fun right. to watch. Those were fun to watch. I, you know, they tried to do a couple of other shows like that, but I think the character and the type of people he went up against made that show work better than some of the clones that were, oh, yeah. were offered. Yeah. You started to say um, something. Well, uh, I'll say one thing about Columbo, and then I'm going to say something about Agatha Christie. Okay. Ah, good old uh, you know, one of the things that Columbo's people, creators, showrunners did, was they would get great guest stars of the day. And you'd be like, oh, this person has to be it. But yeah. they might just be a red herring, you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that and that was kind of meta before meta was meta. You mm -hmm. know? All right, so I want to spoil a classic Agatha Christie novel. And anyone who has been in elementary school uh, probably read this book, right? Murder on the Orient Express. Ah, oh, there you go. 
So spoilers, if if you haven't somehow, you still in 2020 haven't read this or watched one of the many movies or whatever. Many spoiler many. alert. Okay. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. One of my first really hateful reading experiences was reading the resolution of that book. Ah. And if you remember, it's everybody did it. And a lot of people think that stuff is clever. But the problem for me was that I didn't believe that everyone walked by and stabbed this guy. Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing challenge with, to me that I haven't solved yet to do an homage that doesn't look anything like Agatha Christie, but to do a believable mystery where all the suspects did actually do it in a way that makes sense, where all the red herrings are red herrings, and then the twist is each one contributed in some way to the murder victim's death. That would be fantastic, because I threw that book down. I was my little seventh grade ass was so angry. <laughs> but I, at that point, I had read a ton of stuff from The Shadow to Doc Savage to The Outsiders to, you know, uh, Durango Street to like, you know, tons of stuff. So I was kind of ready for the structure. And I just that's such an inter in, introduction to mystery type of uh, book. Oh, man. I it was, So I, that's still one of the. One of the things I want to do, you know. That's funny. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's very funny. I, I had, I had an interesting reaction to Agatha's Murder on the Orient Express, which I saw before I ever read, mm-hmm. and and I still, I still have fun with that one. I, I enjoyed it immensely. I was, I was thrilled that I did figure it out just before Poirot started mm-hmm. to explain it all. Right. I, Freaked when I realized I was right, but <laughs> that's not the one that she did that bugs the bejeebers out of me. It's funny that we're going to be smacking Agatha around in this episode. <laughs> yeah, well, she hits back. <laughs> Bob and Wee, Bob and like? You know, um, Agatha. I mean, she, she's she's written a number of of, of great novels, and uh, they've all been done in some way, shape, or form. And I was just, I, it, the Ten Little Indians. Oh, okay. okay. Which, and no matter what you name that book, it's offensive. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. the original name is even no, more yeah, offensive yeah, than I, Ten Little Indians. Right, it wasn't Indians. It was definitely not. And if you see, uh, yeah, there's, there's, folks, if you want to do the research, just go online, find out what was the original name of that book, and it may, it may make you feel differently about the title. Anyway, the shake thing your me, head. Yeah, the thing that gets me is. Um, you get all these people on this island. And I'm not going to have any spoilers here, folks. You know, if, again, if you've never read the book, don't worry. I'm not going to tell you anything you wouldn't find out by reading the back of the cover. Unlike you, Chris Ryan. You get all these <laughs> on, on the island, on the island, and then they slowly get bumped off. And what cracks me up is what I call the Scooby effect. Why do you, They even talk about it in the, in the book. They talk about it in the movie. But they still they still have the Scooby effect. Why do you guys split up? <laughs> you know, I mean, what are you doing? Every horror movie ever. You know, what is this splitting up thing? You know, Shaggy will say that. What What are you talking about, Fred? What do you mean split up? You know. 
Or, or you yeah, know, but I had my own theories on why Shaggy and Scooby's, you know, split up from the rest of them. So they Shaggy did not want to share their something. joint. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, these are the things. These are those. These are those licenses that certain writers at certain times could take. And we have writers now who take license, and they do things, you know, within a mystery or a thriller or whatever. But you know, she had. She had a number of the of the mysteries that could be resolved while everybody's sitting around the the, the, the living room or the yeah. parlor as the detective basically says, here's what I figured out, here's what I, I've learned, here's what I've confirmed, and by the way, you did it. You know, as the as the information begins to build up, if I were the killer, I'd have been out of the room. <laughs> I, I, Excuse been, me one moment while I go to the the, the, the restroom. I'll be right yeah. back. Out the window he goes. Uh, Yep, you know, and and you know, these are those moments. It's 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 the the thing is, we suspend a certain amount of reality, or we are fans of that particular style of storytelling or genre, and we go with it. You you have to go with it. There's there's a certain reality to even what we used to do in the eighties with a lot of the TV detectives, uh, and 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 even what's her name, who's like an Agatha type character, a murder she wrote. Anywhere this woman went, there was a, a murder or a robbery. You know, at a certain point, people should start suspecting Jessica. You know, because, True. Right? True. You know, we had a series called Heart to Heart. Anybody who was a friend of these people got robbed or murdered. You know, she, whoa, wait a minute. And, and that's where we get come to our, our suspect section of the... <laughs> really? Like, yeah, I I bought it when the police looked at Jessica or looked at someone else's. Wait a minute, I'd be you looking. Are you here again during a crime? Yeah, and wait a well, minute. Well, that's I, the old I Batman question, that, you know. Yeah, does you Batman help Gotham, or yeah. does Batman make Gotham much worse because he attracts far worse criminals? Exactly, but it gives him something to do with his evenings. <laughs> so, but again, he like is I said, a suspect. In in going back to our our core though, uh, in creating any kind of a story, you want to take your readers on a journey. Or again, if you're watching a film, you want to take your, your audience on a journey. You want them to follow your main characters or character from beginning to end. You want them to be engaged and immersed in and feel and connect and all that good stuff. And if you're doing something that is a mystery, great, but every genre has conflict. There's some sort of conflict that your characters are dealing with, and hopefully you're you're writing it or pre presenting it in such a way that the audience can't wait to move to that next part, that next scene, that next chapter or, or you know uh, um, plot point to 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 get through the story and find out how it resolves, how it ends. And I find that again, even in uh, romance stories, if you're rooting for a boy meets girl and you want them to eventually get through it and there's some sort of conflict they're working with, when they bring in the extra character, the love triangle, when they bring in someone who wants the boy or wants the girl, but you know it's, it's not reciprocated, but still they're gonna go at it, that's not only additional conflict, it's also that, oh my God, is it gonna move in this direction? It becomes mm -hmm. almost like a red herring. It pulls you, in a, because the path to true love is never, never straight, you know, it's that sort of thing. So you can use this methodology of looking at a story structure and deciding where are those points where you want to go off, like you were saying, branch off and explore 
an experiment and see, and then come back to, because eventually we're going to get to the end. The trip, the journey is really the meat of it. How it ends is, you know, it's relevant, but how involved, how intriguing, how engrossing, how entertaining the body of the story is, is key to a good read or a good performance. And that's why we tend to look at the characters and look at the plot and look at the structure and see how we can plant things. I tell my students, we, we manipulate our audience. We absolutely do. And that may not be a bad thing because we want them to feel something as they move through this story that we're trying to tell. Yeah. And unlike mathematicians, we don't show all our work, right? That's, That's right. We're much closer to magicians than we are mathematicians. You hide all the, you know, all the structure and all the strings and all the, you know, blue lines and all that sort of stuff. You, you use them while you're creating the story, but by the final draft, all that stuff is, 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 is stripped away and it's an organic story. It may not be get there, but by the end, organic story is the, you know. Yeah, and I, I would just like to repeat, not as eloquently as you did, but repeat that, again, the methodologies or the structure through which we both approach storytelling, Chris was saying, about, you know, the, the index cards and, and laying, you know, the, the elements on, you know, certain elements on each card so that he's able to look at that and then begin to build from there. Uh, whatever process helps you to take the pieces of your story and put them in front of you so that you can map out the journey, you yeah. know, explore it, use it. And, and don't feel uh, like you've got to know it all before you start writing. That's, that's not the way it works much of the time. Uh, and once you get to the end of the story, don't feel like, okay, that's it. I've written it once. It's solid. No, you go back. And again, whatever the genre, but we're going to talk mystery here, you go back and you see where you can plant certain moments, certain pieces of information, certain revelations that help improve the story and, right. and raise the, the, the engagement level. You know, all of that's there, and that's a lot of what we talked about today, as crazy as we did yeah. it. And, you know, if you're um, kind of younger or earlier in your journey and you, you read your drafts like, oh, that's so obvious. Oh, no, I stuck. No, it's just that, oh, that's so obvious translates to, all right, I need another rewrite. If you see it, oh, this isn't obvious, then that's a good thing because you can then say, okay, what do I need to do to mask that? How do I do the sleight of hand? You know? Um, oh, well, you know what? You take out this sentence and you have all the information that is fair to give to the reader, but this one really telegraphed the reveal. So exactly. I'll take that yep. out. Uh, boom. And, and that's the process. That's the secret is to, is to keep polishing, you know? Yeah, don't, don't fall in love with your words so much that you think you can't remove, cut, or change something if it's not serving the story. And don't give into self-loathing so much that you think if there's something that is not perfect, it means you suck. It doesn't. It means that you'll be rewriting. And that's right. all it means. That's and right. that's fine. Everybody does it. You have a, someone that you love as a writer, that person does it too. And the sooner you embrace that, the more fun you'll have as writing, the better you'll feel about everything, and the more you'll be able to tell the damn story. Ta -da. <laughs> there you go, ladies and gentlemen.
Okay. Wash your hands, yo. Wash yeah. your hands. <laughs> wash your feet. Yeah, wash your feet, too. Um, oh, my goodness. I just remembered there was some sort of a, uh, a, a rap cartoon that was a little uh, on the explicit side, but he, he, he sounded something like you just did when you said, wash your hand. So I will, I, will, I will now go looking for that. I will not share that with anybody here, but I will go looking for it. It was funny. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just, everyone's been talking to each other about wash your hands. I just thought it yeah. was funny to repeat. Look for that. Ladies and gentlemen, stay healthy. Yeah, and we will yeah. see you soon. Yes, yes, and adventures of telling the damn yeah. story. Let, let us know how you're doing with your own creative uh, pursuits. If you have any questions, you know, send them along. Thank yeah. you, everyone who has been commenting. We really do appreciate it. Uh, we picked up a, a number of new folks, uh, also from um, the blog universe. You know, because I post on on uh, one of my uh, WordPress blogs. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Arenas. I I, I post on that. So we picked up some people from there. So get, I'm glad you're enjoying. I'm glad you're finding the episodes either informative or entertaining. You think we're weird? We are. Uh, and like I said, you know, continue to comment, send your thoughts along, and we'll see you next time. Take cool. care, Chris. Peace, man. <laughs>